0: Then I'm going back. That's it for me. What? Is that what you really think? Yeah, <laughs> I've got a contract. I'm, I'm going home. You're a fucking clone. You don't have shit. Hey, strength. I'm going home. You're, You're going not going home. anywhere. You know, you've been up here too long, man. You've lost your marbles. What do you think? Tess is back home waiting for you on the sofa and lingerie? What about the original Sam? Huh? I'm the original Sam! I'm Sam FLECKENBELL! Bell. Hey. Me.
1: This is Indica and hello, I'm Jesse. I am joined, as usual, by Aaron, and for hello. the first time, by Luke. Hello. Luke uh, works for the Hollywood Theater and is a movie buff, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Sure, I watch movies. I asked Luke, what's the movie? He's always trying to get people to watch, if there was one, and um, I don't know, this doesn't have to be your final answer, but your first answer was "Mm."
2: movie. Yeah, and I, I wondered about your way of asking that question, because you said trying to get people to watch, and I was wondering if that's, I recommend movies to people i don't know if that's the same thing or if this is like a forcible do i have to captivate an audience like you're not allowed to leave this room or you'll buy a timeshare yeah i recommend moon a lot it's a it's um it's a really good movie and the reason i think i've been recommending it a lot to people lately is because star wars came out and i always have to do that science fiction versus science fantasy argument with people where they're like oh science fiction star wars i'm like well that's just a bunch of uh, fairy tale stuff. Then they're like, what do you mean science fiction? It's like, well, it's something that's somewhat plausible, given that uh, something happens, and everything else after that seems plausible. And then, you know, a good example of that is this movie, Moon. Where there's just one kind of,
1: like, uh, logical leap you have to make, or one... Yeah, you, you get you get one by,
3: I think, because, you know, the, the idea in fiction is... Uh... I mean, and your your one buy can be Hey, we live in a crazy magical universe Where right. <laughs> there's
2: whatever Yeah, it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, um, far away uh, But in this, it's, you know
1: It's the future of their mining helium Which, I, it's, from what little I know is, is one of the most plausible parts of the movie Is that you can actually extract
3: In 2009, I think it came out 2008? hmm 2009 That's when uh, Newt Gingrich was going to build our helium moon
2: base oh and it's it's i wrote up on this a little bit more recently too because uh helium 3 is actually being you know is on the moon's surface because of the sun's rays somehow <laughs> and uh then harvesting it for nuclear fusion is the idea mm-hmm. and uh china actually has a lunar rover right now and they're testing out the soil for the possibility of this Mining Helium 3. China has a rover physically on the moon right now? Yeah. Oh my god. You guys need to follow your space news. I didn't
1: even know my my space news
3: now. Wow. Let's jump back a bit because I feel like hard science fiction uh, (laughs) branch is you know, half of the thing to talk about. Sure. um, With this. Uh, But I, I do feel like moon is maybe the most or maybe in a certain demographic, the most recommended movie ever.
1: And it's one that we've talked about doing for this show, back when the show was only ever you and me, or just two people. Well, but I feel, I feel like
3: there's just so many prompts that it can lead to this movie being recommended. Hmm. You know, what is, what? What is? I mean, I, I feel like this is maybe one of the only real science fiction movies that is not a, you know, action movie with science fiction trappings, or a haunted house movie with science fiction trappings that... Has been successful, at least, or been uh, in the mainstream.
1: Well, so, I I mean, you're drawing a bit of a line around what what gets to be called science fiction or not. I mean, I definitely have heard people say there's hard SF and there's soft SF, right? And I think some people might call what you call science fantasy. Other people would just call just general science fiction. And then there's a subcategory hard science fiction that this would fall into, but that the rest isn't. Technically ruled out from being science yeah. fiction. Yeah, but those people are assholes. Okay,
2: <laughs> there really are a lot of arguments about that. Yeah, where do you draw the line? And then sometimes people say like, "Oh, well that's not really science fiction." Moon. It has like three presuppositions. Right. Because right, because of pe- what people expect and what they want to get out
1: of a movie. Might I mean they hear science fiction and maybe they want like wild, insane fantasy. Like good, good special effects is what. ninety percent <laughs> of people going to see a science
3: fiction movie is there's going to be a blue explosion instead of a regular (laughs) explosion
1: the just to to finish introducing um the movie i uh on the off chance this is the first episode of in the cut you've listened to welcome hi but also, you should know that we immediately t- go to spoiler territory when we talk about movies, and uh, we hope that you have recently had a chance to watch or rewatch the movie that we talk about on this and all episodes, because uh, instead of trying to recap the plot or kind of give a review of the movie, we instead like to talk about what we thought specifically worked or didn't work, or other topics related to it. So, more enjoyable podcast if the movie's fresh in your mind, so go to cut.org and you can see, hopefully, links to ways to watch the movie. Couldn't do that with Showgirls because there's nowhere to watch an NC-17 movie <laughs> streaming on the internet. So uh, if you haven't seen Showgirls before, you listen Probably to it on episode, YouTube somewhere with you know funny <laughs> captions or whatever. <laughs> Moon, on the other hand, I think is pretty available. I don't know how you guys watched it. I happen to have the Blu-ray. I got to pull out and blow the dust off of a Blu-ray disc and load it into my PlayStation 3 and play it. Uh,
2: Moon was the first Blu-ray I ever owned. Looks, looks fucking good to me. I actually signed up for Netflix DVDs again for the oh. first time in a few years so I could get it. It felt good, you know, getting that envelope in the mail and mm-hmm. opening it up, and then that's the only thing I'm allowed to watch. <laughs> it was satisfying. Nice. Nice. So you didn't get to watch it in high definition. It was whatever DVDs tend to be kept out at, which was 480, I think. Yeah, it wasn't great, but it's, it's still a uh,
1: well composed movie. So mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, but have you seen it? Did you see it in the theater? Get a chance to see it in the theater?
2: No, I reco- I had the movie recommended to me when um, a college friend of mine went to Antarctica to work as a janitor. And I asked him, what's it like? Is it like The Thing? And he said, no, it's more like Moon. Which, having watched Moon now, I think that actually might be a bit more terrifying because, mm. well, The Thing is obviously terrifying, but uh, the subtlety in Moon's terror is pretty extreme.
1: Yeah, yeah, and... and uh... I was lucky enough to catch it in the theater in Portland. It was really good. We also just discovered that it's playing at a theater in Portland tonight of all times in the world. We're it, missing it right I've, now. I've never so,
3: seen it at the theater in Portland, and I feel like I may be seven, losing some seven nuance. Seven
1: years after uh, release, it was, of all nights, the night we recorded an episode about it, it happens to be showing a one-night, maybe, possibly even, engagement. Um, the Academy the, Theater. The Academy um, Theater. One of many fucking rad... Um, Luke, are you allowed to um, cheat on your uh, oh, yeah, you, you yeah, TV to it's you kind sneak of expected. around behind um, his back?
2: I think I'm kind of required to, <laughs> actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, I go see movies as at as many different theaters as I can because they are all very interesting and. I love the theaters here. It's They're one of the so best good. things about the city.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Hollywood Theater is is like a, not only just a, a super awesome theater with it, puts on amazing events and gets like, you know, the filmmaker there to talk about the film sometimes. And Michelle Gondry, I saw there. Don Hertzfeld I saw there. Um, the person who made the uh riot girl documentary oh, yeah. came and showed
2: it there it was really great and i forget sorry i forget the director's name but the i've missed almost every exciting person that comes <laughs> actually uh when Quentin tarantino was there I it d- was not there That's and, right he uh, showed up for the 70, 70 millimeter th- oh, no. and uh tommy wiso was there not too long ago which would have been hilarious <laughs> yeah. to see and i think the only person i was there to see in person was the uh canadian i think he's canadian a metal rock bodybuilder guy named Thor. (laughs) Uh, People love his movie. I had no idea what it was when we showed it, Uh, but he was there and he's still there with like his bleached blonde hair and his tight leather pants and still play guitar for everybody and they loved it. Um,
1: But yeah, but it's also a historical site and landmark in and of itself that's like preserved this amazing building. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: They've done a lot of work to keep everything 1926 as much (laughs) as possible And sometimes it's great, uh, and sometimes it's like, oh, you're on wheels and you can't get up the stairs. Too bad, that movie's (laughs) playing upstairs only. But the aesthetics of the building are beautiful, and the programming is really cool. And they're doing another um, Buster Keaton movie soon with a live organ playing.
1: I saw it last night. Or um, did that happen just now? Yeah, it was uh, One Week and Go West. It was a double feature. So bad about keeping up with the times. And the, the live organist accompaniment was fucking awesome. Well, nice chat. Um, so I think in summary, Moon, great movie. That's <laughs> good.
3: to See you guys.
0: <laughs> Three years is a long haul. You know, it's way, 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 way too long. <laughs> I'm talking to myself on a regular basis. So um, time to go home. You know what I mean?
1: Moon is one is really, like I said, one of my one of my favorites and one that I have recommended to a lot of people, too. It seemed to not get the uh, exposure while it was in the theater that uh, that a tentpole mainstream Hollywood movie might normally enjoy. Um, It was made on the cheap by a first time director. Yeah. Um, uh, David Bowie's son, I believe. right? David Bowie's son, Duncan Jones. Yeah.
2: And he's uh, slated to, he's directing and wrote the new Warcraft movie.
1: Oh my God, that's right. I I knew that. I just
2: looked up that fact today. That's one of my favorite (laughs) new facts. Uh, in between, he directed, and I'm not sure if he wrote Source Code. He did not write it. Okay. I looked at that too, which I have not seen. So I, I, I haven't won't on. have only
3: comment. Have you seen?
1: I have. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I was such a huge cheerleader for Moon that I just I saw. It it's something that later.
3: people. It's a, a, another highly recommended one. I feel like. But.
1: It doesn't hold a candle, in my opinion. I, d- I think it's entirely worth watching, but uh, but it's the, it doesn't feel like when you watch Moon, you feel like you're discovering an amazing thing, mm-hmm. right? And it's Source Code feels like something that, oh, well, this was the movie I happened to watch today, you know? I don't, I don't know how, if that's the best way of explaining have you, have it. Having just
2: watched the trailer for it, um, for Source Code, when I saw it, there was a lot of explaining the rules mm-hmm. of the world that they were living in, and that's one of my biggest pet peeves in movies. Mm-hmm. Was it remember, you only get eight minutes to complete your task. <laughs> like, okay, you're actually setting a timer, and you might as well display it in the HUD of the corner of the of the theater screen. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Moon does the opposite of that when it's so subtle all the time. Uh, like the, when I was paying attention to it this time when rewatching it, I was actually looking at the timestamps and the like inciting incident to use the Aristotle word like the thing that uh, makes the events of the movie set in motion is when he first crashes his rover, okay. and that happens 30 minutes into it. But the thing that's so interesting about it is if you aren't paying close attention when you're watching it, he wakes up again he's being woke up and you might not even realize that this is actually a different sam bell I mean, he just looks healthier so maybe um, i
3: i didn't and this was my rewatch See,
2: so yeah. <laughs> and that's a really exciting thing right when you realize there's these subtle moments it's a really well-made movie in that regard and there's a lot more that i found when rewatching this time sure
1: yeah i mean i think that the the big uh, abracadabra thing the movie does is that is the is the fake out it, it the movie sets up the chain of events so that you have to once you realize what's going on with the two sam bells you have to go back and figure out well where did the split happen what how long have there been two and then you have to rewalk in your Just mind the last the five or 10 minutes that there was no big
3: confrontation when they first meet it was yeah. such a fantastic just I mean, which totally makes sense character-wise, because
1: they're both... They're you know. both so worried about their psychosis. Yeah,
3: you know? they're, they're fucked up in their own way. They're meeting each other. And, uh...
1: Yeah, and the older Sam Bell um has been hallucinating people for uh, some time, and so his first like reaction to the sharing a room with another Sam Bell is to kind of whisper to Gertie, is there another guy in the room okay. with us? And, of course, the younger Sam Bell discovering is having a freak out and yelling at Gertie. Like, wh- who is he? Why does he look like me? I,
3: yeah, I had uh, mixed feelings on the, you know, uh, hallucin- hallucinations being part of the thing.
2: I do have mixed feelings about that because it's very... Um, oh, who was the movie, Andre Tarkovsky, Solaris. Solaris,
1: yeah, that's immediately, that I think, is a pretty direct reference. Yeah. To, and uh,
2: and I, I think
3: this was a movie with a lot of... very clear about saying here are the influences for this movie we're just going to take the lines from 2001 yeah well a lot of the
1: shots were
2: very Kubrick yeah
1: Um, yeah and I love the set design was very uh, Ridley Scott's Alien in, in a really really good fun way all the design of the screens and everything just kind of harkened right. back to an era that,
3: and, and I think you know the sets for moon have actually become pretty iconic in a way I, I mean,
1: there's a um the art director who was also like the kind of special effects supervisor was also like a bunch of things he was also the uncredited stunt man for <laughs> Sam Rockwell like that's they had no budget and they didn't have the insurance to insure Sam so they just snuck <laughs> the special effects guy into the spacesuit for a couple of the stunts he has a really really good blog called They Never Went to the Moon that's a blog, like a production blog for working on Moon, and it's it's been a really, really fun read. When I was trying to look into more about this movie, after I had first seen it, I found it, and I'd, I've been really happily following it. Of course, it hasn't been updated in many years, because he's moved on to other things, but um, he talks about designing those sets. There's a really great post with a lot of, like, pre-viz renders of those and stuff, and some of the really clever stuff he got up to, because they were, they had zero budget and zero time to do anything. He's like, Turning things in the same day that they have to get like produced to be put built into the movie, but there's a lot of great stuff like the way the um the way the openings are cut in between the rooms so that you can illuminate one room with a, like an overhead skylight looking light box and have it not bleed into the next room so you can have like alternating light dark light scenes that as the as the rooms recede away. I,
3: I'm curious as to how much uh, CG there was in the environments. If uh, do you do you know that from?
1: I don't know specifically, but, but there
3: there was a there was a certain amount of CG and
1: well, I don't know. I mean, what what he was talking about was the previous stuff, which he mocked it all up in three D ahead of time. I in terms of the actual on set stuff, I'm not positive. Um, it seemed like exteriors. It seemed like there was a lot of miniature work, which is really fun to look at. And the the couple of CG bits felt like they stood out a little bit because on on a certain budget, CG looks like C G
2: There's the scenes where Sam Rockwell and Sam Rockwell were interacting mm-hmm. and those ones it felt a little bit like, hey, we have this new toy Let's try to make it work. Oh, that's funny, because I kind of felt the other way about I mean, that. It was really well done. I I uh, thought that,
1: I mean, there's a big, the, 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 a gag of the movie is that you have two Sam Rockwells acting against himself, yeah. basically. And I thought the movie did a good job of not kind of, like, drawing attention to itself with that sort of stuff. I mean, they played with it, like, with the they ping pong did. and stuff. But it didn't, it didn't seem show-offy. It's it seemed, like, necessary to what they were trying to do in the scene.
3: That, yeah, they, they still would cut where you should cut to the other person they didn't Mm -hmm. always just like hey we can do it so but I mean because that kind of compositing is actually like one of the easiest things you can do as long as you have you know someone physically in there blocking it out and creating the shadows and
2: whatever that's And it did work well here, though, I think. And I think that's a big part of that is because of the way Sam Rockwell uh, handles it, because his timing, maybe like interacting with himself, I thought was actually really interesting. And something that would have been easy to fake with a
1: lot of cuts, but instead they held a lot of shots long and let like whole conversations play out in one continuous take, which is like a good...
2: Is a more theatrical performance. Yeah.
1: But also it just kind of makes it all that more impressive that he can get the timing right in a long sequence and get those pauses just so.
2: And I think um, that's like, that's what he tends to do more well. And, you know, that's also why he dances in every movie is because he's a very (laughs) theatrical performer. And so I think the, when they directed this movie, they did a good, they made a good decisions by pulling the camera back. One thing I noticed when rewatching it is there's not many close-ups. Nothing from like his shoulders to his eyes or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, and his his performance is definitely a full body
1: performance. Like in in that you know you have to, he's playing two characters who are the same person but they're really different in different stages and different mindsets, and you could you could tell. By the costume, which was which, you could tell by the body motion, which was which. You could tell by the v- v- vocal inflection, which was which. Any of those things on their own would can is enough of a cue because he he's inhabits two really different. Um, but but I, I do feel like the body language was
3: the great differentiator. Like not just that you know he's playing you know someone on you know on the verge of collapse and you know he's got that great mannerism. Is it limping along. But, that was uh, on this watch of the movie the really. Fun thing for me was the—I uh, I don't know how much of it was the writer's interpretation or his interpretation of this character and how he has changed over these three years, but that was that was kind of more fun to me than yeah. And I else. like
1: that they can come right out of the gates with the ping pong table scene, and it's if it wasn't handled, I mean. Because the the differences are so stark that it would seem like kind of a stunt and a kind of a dumb scene if it wasn't also just really really well played <laughs> and you didn't really really just get the characters from it because you could you could see how with two percent more that would just be a cartoon where the one is just like stomping around and angry and the other one's like super lackadaisical and but um instead it's actually like you you c- compress so much characterization into so so little time by just having them play the game together and talk to each other
3: yeah with, with an actor that i mean sam rockwell is I, I i think hugely i mean i'm not gonna say underrated but he he does something that not a lot of people can do and i, I think he's a you know, a very broad character actor. and he, he works in a way that, uh, where I keep expecting it to just turn into straight slapstick comedy, which I always do when
0: I'm watching him. Should we, uh, should we plan? Yeah.
1: Fuck! Ah,
0: Shit! 19-2. Yeah. Do you want to stick stick your gum? You know, I have to approach this in a different way. We went to flight school.
1: What are you doing? I'm fixing the net.
0: It's very Zen ping pong. You have to just relax.
1: So, yeah, when you say that the roll reversal thing happens, I think that. Obviously, the um, primary theme of the movie is like knowing yourself better by seeing from the outside what the three years has done to you. And and the younger Sam can see what three like three years ahead of him looking three years into the future. And old Sam can see what a fucking, you know, brat he was three years younger. And but there's also like, you know, kind of like some coming to terms with who you actually are stuff in there, too. But what I really like in in the role reversal stuff is that it really seems like the first half of the movie old Sam is learning from young Sam and the second half of the movie young Sam is learning from old Sam because at first young Sam is just so unwilling to engage with what's going on and in the second half old Sam is is so like
2: saying fuck it and giving up and not trying well and then also uh, you know young Sam right away acknowledges the clone thing he says you're a clone too and you know and then uh, it seems like the old Sam isn't willing to accept it as much at first and then, uh, but it's actually the old Sam that ends up finding the room full of clones later. Right. While young Sam is uh, doing his thing out in the rover. So the, his acceptance of that fact or, or willingness to embrace that he's been lied to all this time, the old Sam. Right. Is a very slow thing to happen. And that's, yeah, that's where the roles reverse again.
3: And, and I love that when we come into the idea of clones, we as the audience have no idea if this is, I mean, we don't, We don't even know what the year is are clones a thing this guy has been hallucinating uh i mean aside from just is this other person a thing which is certainly a red herring that's thrown up uh pretty strongly hey we're talking about we're clones are, are we living in a universe where clones <laughs> are a
1: thing? Is this uh, right? If they are clones, is it is it like these are the only clone human clones in existence, yeah. or, or is it something and, that's so commonplace and, on Earth? And also,
3: then it turns out, you know, these these people are, but Your they're future, about yeah. fifteen yeah. years past where they think they are. That's right. So there can yeah. be technology they totally don't know exists. They can think clones are this weird, clumsy technology, and it turns out that
2: 15 years later. Well, my favorite part about when they figure out when they're confronting the idea that they're clones, and I think it's old Sam turns to Gertie and says, "Gertie, am I a clone?" And Gertie says, Sam, are you hungry? Would you like me to get you something to eat? And yeah. it's just like, oh, man, it's just like growing up. You ask your mom a hard question you get some food. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the, re- the reveal of the nature of why there's two of them and what the hell is going on, I think, is really deftly handled. And it's handled so differently than it would be in any other movie. A, because the very first idea that the movie even suggests is someone saying, well, we're clones. And then, so there's no real misdirection. And in fact, no other explanation has even ever floated. They just kind of, sort of assume that that must be what's going on until they get confirmation, and then that is what's yeah. going on. Because they never say
2: hallucination. I kind of yeah.
1: think that's brilliant. Yeah, it's the uh, you know. Because if all the second guessing was happening in my mind and not in the movie, yeah, it's, yeah. it's
3: the writer knowing that uh, you just, really do a red herring is yeah. to make right. the really obvious red Herrick uh, let's put it out
2: there he right was right in front of you the whole time yeah the uh, fact that I didn't realize the clone thing it right away was just a big slap in the face and I watched it the second time um, he's wearing a shirt when he works out at the beginning that says wake me when it's quitting time mm-hmm. and when he finishes his three-year stint they wake up another clone mm-hmm. at quitting time right right that's pretty brilliant what, what's I, I think the that's uh, what I song think.
1: that's his uh, alarm
2: yeah his song, his song that's another one what is, is it it sings the words i am the one and only oh okay which nice. is so ironic Congrats. I also
1: love that um, That kind of <laughs> That weird like found it at a thrift shop Shirt Is in drawer With the clone That they pull out <laughs> and All the clones <laughs> have And it. so like Every one of them Has an exact replica Of the slightly worn Wake me when it's Quitting time shirt Yeah Just amazing
0: Yeah
3: Sam can I ask How it happened
0: I told you I saw something on TV And I spilled Boiling water On my hand You saw something On TV yeah, I saw something on TV that distracted me. Is there something wrong with that, Gertie?
3: Sam, you said it was the TV that distracted you, but when I came in, the TV wasn't on. Perhaps you were imagining things.
0: Yeah, you think too much, pal. <clears throat> I
1: need
0: to get laid. i want to go back to work.
1: Gertie, it was so cool. Dirtiest one. It's it's maybe my favorite robot in any movie, possibly. Um, he has a cup holder, and he holds a cup. Pretty uh, the, yeah. the, the physical design absolutely wonderful in every way. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: uh, but but in terms how of how AI is treated, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I need a second watch of the movie before I.
2: Really well. It seems like Gertie has an almost human-like AI. Oh, I disagree. I think I think he's. I think he. One of the
1: things that's revealed is that he's not. Despite the impression that we kind of impose on him as we get to know him and see that like there's more going on than he's letting on, is that we put this whole conniving, you know, second layer to his persona in place. And I think one of the great reveals of the movie is that he literally is just acting on one. Directive, which is to keep Sam safe, and yeah. whatever the interpretation right. of that I, in the moment. I is. kind
3: of disagree, or or maybe this is the one that I mean. I, I think he says something, end, you know, we're gonna you know, we'll just get back to our programming, and then Sam says, you know,
1: we're not we're not programs, we're people. Yeah. But I, I, what I love about that line is that Sam could be talking about himself and the other clones, or he could be including right. Gertie in that. Right. And right. I think it's left ambiguous. But, but
3: I I think. That this there was very intentionally a lot of thought as to, you know, Gertie is a program that is responding as a program. Yeah. But if that is true then there's a couple of scenes I, I don't know that really contravene that in a weird way that makes it feel like
2: um and, and you know we don't know what AI is. Maybe he's not doing a good job of keeping Sam safe because he's feeding him baked beans every morning for three years. <laughs> Um,
3: but but there's uh, there's times where Sam will talk him into anything without providing him any new information. Only through strictly emotional means. Where I, mean, I think there's the scene after he...
2: One where he cuts, lets, um, cuts the hose. Yeah,
3: and then afterwards he's like, you need to let me out. And he's like, no, I'm not supposed to let you out. And really the only thing he does to change his mind is say I really want I really want to do it hmm. And it's just a purely emotional appeal that changes the AI's mind about what what its parameters is so I, I, I think there are a few scenes like that that give some nuance to whether it actually is acting intentionally j- sure. just by
2: well the thing I wonder there I mean to play devil's advocate is the idea that like his um, main uh, his main objective is to keep Sam safe. And if he's getting more and more like emotionally frustrated or agitated because of this situation, is letting him out maybe the <laughs> lesser of two evils. Right. Like if he were to let him out, he might fix it or do whatever he's going to do. Right. If, if he, he doesn't he let him out, out, he might cause some other scene to happen. I don't think in that scene Gertie's prepared to physically
1: restrain Sam. So when it comes to a certain point that he just acquiesces. But but,
3: but then you, I mean, I, I think this is a fun loop and a fun intentional loop is. If, if it is that he's responding to emotional cues and, you know, th- then at one point, what makes this different than ha- how a human being will respond? And I think being very logical and how he responds to most things, uh, having, having him respond to. Um, and, you know, and we have this idea that Sam is probably a person that's been chosen to be someone who's going to wake up and do the same thing over and over because of his... Programming and and so you get that mirror of uh, yeah yeah what is programming do we have free will blah, blah
1: blah if we want to make the question does Gertie have a consciousness I think that the movie does deliberately answer that and and answers it in the scene where he's talking about rebooting Gertie and erasing his memory right. and stuff and Gertie's like sure that's fine I mean that's obviously what we should do like he, he there's no like sense of self and I think the movie makes a point of telling you that. But of course, only telling you that at the end, because one of the joys of the movie is wondering what's going on under the hood with that robot the whole time, and getting the kind of the anti-2001 reveal, where it seems like it's a conscious, conniving, you know, multifaceted robot that turns out to just be a well-intentioned thing that's we're interpreting in a certain way, which is kind of the reverse Hal, uh... Where you t- treat it as a robot until you realize it's a conniving consciousness th- with this, you know, mm-hmm.
2: ulterior that, motives. Ulterior and motives, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, what, but yeah, he's so good, and it almost seems like too obvious to talk about the the little emotion faces thing. But it's so it put me off the first time I saw the movie. It put me off for a minute because I'm like, that's just as hokey. I don't know what I how to explain my first impression of that because at this point I'm just so in love with it, <laughs> <laughs> and when it like offsets an emotional scene by having the little tear thing appear on the frowny face. And it's like, almost
2: like, they so well done. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It somehow, somehow it's like, it, it takes the wind out of its own sails, but in a really, really satisfying way. And then when it does that thing
2: with this aperture, it's just so cute. Just yeah. Boosh, 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 you yeah. Know?
1: Nice little subtle expression. Yeah. One thing I also liked was, um, just picking up on where the arms were in different scenes because they might be off doing their own thing. Yeah, there's that one where I think it tucks Sam into bed
2: or something. What was that? I forget.
1: There's the good scene where Sam's up in the little control tower thing and the arm comes up and it looks like it might be a hell, I'm going to get you because he's about to hack into the thing and instead it reaches over his shoulder and types in the password. We all wish we had one of those. Just, yeah. just yeah. the Wait.
3: moment where it just kind of hits him. To yeah. You know, like, <laughs> right. Where he's like, I'm not going to do it. And it's just like, which is... Uh, Yeah, Yeah, maybe, you know, a cue that this thing
1: has been programmed with
3: very obvious emotional cues for manipulating this one person or controlling this one person.
1: Right. And yeah, in the way that it it has to traverse from room to room by kind of slowly navigating through the doorway part. Um, But yeah, I mean, I like thinking of Gertie like you could almost... Something that surprised me is that they gave the station a voice, like a woman's voice, that's like the, you know, this many minutes until blah, blah, blah. Thing happens. Yeah. Because without that, it would be easy to just think that Gertie is the station because he has like a head and arms and they're always attached to the rest of the station. So it's sort of like the rest of the station is just his torso, sort of. Sure, yeah.
2: Um, he does seem to know uh, everything that's going on, so he has sensors everywhere. Right? You no,
3: know, I think he's explicitly said not to. Oh, you like know, know, only this, this is a modular unit that is only recording what it is in the room with. It's not yeah, getting the, the, the um, process, feedback right? from the wider uh, station. But just in terms
1: of its physical construction, it's like an inside-out person, almost, Mm -hmm. where the arms and head kind of poke into the torso and manipulate Mm -hmm. things. But, yeah, I mean, I think he specifically says, you know,
3: this this is what happens, this is what I saw when I came into the room. He's not plugged into the larger information sphere. This really is a, you know, and and that, I think, makes the plot make a lot more sense where this is not the thing that's, This is just a little thing that's taking care of Sam, and they've just programmed to do that. This is not something that has the the larger, um,
1: right, and doesn't have any concept of the morality of the three-year lifespan or the waking a clone and all that sort of stuff. That doesn't doesn't even have a context for that. Um, But yeah, one thing Gertie says is, I can only account for what occurs on the base, which I, I think is is telling. I mean, there's a few moments where that that are really like. Elegantly and nicely revealing it as to what what Gertie is and what he's about and what he's you know what he's doing, yeah. so good. Just to, just a joy. And of course, I mean, we we haven't said, but I think we could probably all agree that Kevin Spacey, like, w- the movie would be so different without him doing the voice. Um, I was really? wondering
2: about him, and I was thinking like it was. I mean, his delivery is fairly deadpan for most of it, and then there's run through some kind of augmentation. But um, there are some moments where there is a little bit of not just Ed Pan in there. So he definitely did do a performance. But I'm also wondering, like, if they had gotten another voice actor, like a, a cartoon voice actor, say, how, how they would have interpreted that role and how much different it would have been. I don't know that it would have been better or worse, necessarily. Um,
3: I'd love to hear it just actual machine voice flat with the same script, which hmm. would actually be a pretty easy... Get it to do,
2: hmm. or maybe if we just had Stephen Wright do the voice.
3: But yeah. <laughs> um, no, just just actually get someone who's not telegraphing anything. And uh, how how does the movie feel different? I'm not I'm not saying it'll be a better movie. Sure. but uh, how does the question. movie feel different if uh, you know you and Sam both have to read into
2: everything that it's saying, like yeah. try to interpret the whole time.
3: Because because I do think that. You know, there was a little hamminess to oh. the, the we're we're, we're being Hal he right now. He did like this a is robot my, for sure. <laughs> he's a, he's a robot, but I'm you know I'm doing scary hell. What was his line where he really got to? He didn't quite say I can't let
2: you do that, but saying can't let you you can't let him out of the base. Uh, yeah, I, I can't let sure. you go
3: outside,
1: Sam. Yeah,
2: I'm Hal. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it
1: just it. it I did enjoy. He communicates such a texture to it that that. But yeah, it would, I think it, I think it would be such a different movie without that that vocal performance because it's so simultaneously like ultra soothing because he has one of those like once in a lifetime voices, but also um, can hide that menace and things. I, I think it really works
3: as, as to what it wouldn't be as fun of a movie.
0: He's got a problem. He scares me, Gertie.
3: What is it about Sam that scares you? He
0: flies off the handle. I see it now. I see what Tess was talking about. I never told you this, Gertie, but she, uh, she, uh, she left me. Tess left me for six months. She moved back in with her parents. I know. Give me a second chance, and promise her a change. You have changed, Sam. Hey, Bertie, since I've been up here, I've sent Tess... I've sent her over a hundred video messages. Where did those messages go? Did they ever reach her?
3: Sam, I can only account for what occurs on the base.
0: What about the messages she sent to me?
3: Sam, I can only account
1: for what occurs
3: on the base,
1: and of of course, because the entire thing is is like a Sam Rockwell showcase. Um, any other actor in that role would completely turn the movie upside down.
2: Oh yeah, could you imagine if it was Arnold Schwarzenegger? or...
1: <laughs> oh God, I want I
2: want to see all these
1: movies. Um, it, it, and and thinking about it, it reminds me of the movie Pie, which was Darren Aronofsky's first film, where it's. A constrained budget, what seems to me a labor of love, with a with a tight script that really, really is a character study. That you just get the right guy, and carries the the entire. You know, hope that he carries the entire movie. Um, plus Clint Mansell. Plus Clint Mansell, right? There's another tie in there, and both directors who went on to do other projects on much broader scales. But I don't know. I mean, I I don't think you could make. I don't think Arnowski could make another pie that affected me in the way Pie did, and I don't think Duncan Jones could make another Moon that affected me in the way Moon does, because it just seems like it had—it's that first outing, super hungry, no budget, you know, small scale, m- miracle confluence of the right talent and the right music and the right uh, scope of the story that just kind of fits together really nicely. It—it yeah. it was the perfect. Knowing
3: how to use Sam Rockwell, yeah, which yeah. I think is, is one of the world's great natural resources, <laughs> <and> should be <laughs> healing in Sam Rockwell. <laughs> but yeah. I, I did—I kind of expected a third Sam Rockwell to come in at the end, and they—they they didn't do it because they that's were. That's true. I mean, it. there's
1: the there's the one they never Was on, on the table? Yeah. Yeah, and but, he got yeah. the
3: one line as original, original Sam when he called. Oh, uh, right?
2: when he oh, called uh, home. home. Who's calling, asking about mom? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that was, uh,
3: and I love that they didn't make that explicit. That because you kind of expect it, you know, from uh, the narrative perspective, it's someone calling home and finding his wife is remarried. But yeah, that's right. Not what it is. It's that.
1: Yeah, I had forgotten that. That's that's and what's going that
3: on there. Puts in a whole fun perspective of this guy who is the the guy's the in this movie. He is complicit in everything. Yeah, so that brings right. up the question, like,
2: was he a lunar miner who was successful? And they said, okay, we're going to keep you and a bunch we're gonna of We're going to make clones. a loop out of
1: that three-year experience. Yeah, we're just going to keep that
2: ball rolling. That's one of the reasons I think the movie works, even though
1: it tips its hand. Like we were talking about, the clone reveal is telegraphed and doesn't happen like at the end of the movie is the oh my god that's what was going on the whole time type thing. That's happened in the first half. Yeah it happens real early but it leaves so much more to like figure out and discover and understand like well where is the original and they can dole that out. Like what is Gertie's role in this and they can dole that out. How long has he been here? What happens to the clones after three years? And there's still so many mysteries remaining to to reveal after the big twist comes out that the twist doesn't have to be what the Movie lives and dies by it's the entire rest of the story that can come together and, too. And I
3: think it was a movie that came out when when everyone was sick of the twist,
2: right? When uh, after we hated Shyamalan, right?
1: <laughs>
3: pretty, pretty much. Um, There's
2: the idea of cloning, which is okay. So it has a few ideas that's like okay, this has to happen in order for this world to happen. You have to get like nuclear fusion to happen with helium three as the fuel, mm-hmm. uh, which is like kind of a possibility. Then it has to have cloning that can happen mm-hmm. and we're 3d printing food right now which is like that's one step away from humans right mm-hmm. or a couple steps and then are there other like sci-fi ideas that we're close up on well are there it, there's um there's the too big to fail right they're supplying 70% of the energy to earth Right, right. Co- cor-
1: Corporate ownership right. of a part of the moon is, oh. is a political thing that would have to happen.
3: Right. I mean, fusion power is going to be one of your big. That's the big one. And, uh, That's yeah. the
2: yeah, definitely. But, but also, uh, it, I think
3: the economics of the movie are all wrong. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more thing is that um, how do are we pretty far from that that level of AI and uh, being able to have a be conversant it's with tricky the,
2: because uh, you know if you think about the number of different things that. Uh, Gertie does how many different things does he actually to aside so I, I, I mean, think
1: you but I think the movie it means you to believe that you could ask him any question and he'll make a coherent answer to it which we're not there yet right no
3: I, I think we will have that by whenever this movie is supposed to be I, th- okay. I think we give this movie the initial setting of uh, 15 years from now right let's say you know because right. this, this is this right. this operation has been going on for a while right. Um, And this operation has been going on for longer than we know. When you go
2: down to the room with the clones, there's, I think it was five empty drawers. So uh, presumably then 15 years. I think
1: that's a really good, interesting question, right? Because you can judge it by a couple things. The original recordings are when his daughter was first born, and then they make a point of saying how old she is in the scene when he talks with her, which is she's 15 or 16, right? so, So
3: this is 15 years past whenever the original... Setting
1: is. Yeah, and the the lights around the drawers in the clone room are red for used ones and white, or right. I think it was white for unused ones. And there's all like you can see, and they're they're numbered in a four digit numbers. It's zero 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 seven was the one they popped open that was going to be the next one. Oh okay, yeah. But but you can see there's meant to be you know potentially but, you know, thousands. I, mean, I,
3: I think we'll absolutely pass a Turing test in ten years. Okay. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's a.
1: Uh, but can we give it? the the sultry Kevin Spacey voice that I like so much and you guys apparently hate um I don't know they got Morgan Freeman on the GPS now (laughs) they got Snoop Dogg on the GPS do you know that well then yeah we're already there what's this movie with Snoop Dogg doing Gertie instead of Kevin Spacey (laughs) see I'm saying it's an easy edit we can can make these things happen you
0: know about Eve right what I had we had a girl Eve. Isn't she beautiful? She's my little monkey. She's our little monkey. High five. <laughs> she might be the milkman's, but she's, uh, she's beautiful.
1: The, yeah, one of the moments that got me this time um, was when he goes back into the shower and sees where all the little smiley faces had been erased. Oh, yeah. it's there's a there's just little things that someone thought of that that make me really like another one I get, saw. Blindside me.
2: That one was really like emotionally crushing. But another one I saw that was, you know, uh, plot plot wise was really interesting was when uh, Sam number two goes. Uh, is getting ready to suit up and go outside for the first time to go get Sam number one. And he yeah. looks into uh, where the suit should be and there's no suit. Here's what I love about that is because they're the same guy. Of course, they both
1: reached for the left one first. Of course, yeah. yeah, I love that moment. That's a really good one. It gives him pause for a second. Yeah, and something else between the two of them, this is something that I was that I meant to mention when we were talking about the scenes where they're kind of doing a stunt where the two of them are in the same shot and interacting with each other. They don't do that hardly at all at the beginning. They um I mean he carries them in, so there's like physical contact there, but starting with the scene where old Sam wakes up again on the table, they they keep a physical distance. Between each other, right. that's very, very slowly overcome as the movie goes on. And I think it, it, it's it's once you're looking for it, it becomes so obvious that it has to be deliberate. It, by the end, he's like they're hugging and he's holding and dragging him, and it, they're really in physical proximity. But um, early on, they, they they seem to like not want to touch each other.
2: They're still playing out the idea that each other is a hallucination. Yeah,
1: that? and and certainly for old Sam, he's
3: I mean I think he basically expresses that he's pretty desperate
1: for human touch. That that was what made me realize, yeah, when he's saying like I I just want I literally just want to like touch you. Can you shake my hand? Yeah. Um and and you see that there's there's just a very gradual over the course of the movie that they're physically allowing themselves to get closer and closer, which I think is interesting just in terms of the characters themselves, but also to the theme of the movie where there's a reconciliation that needs to be happening in the kind of the psyche of the guy that these two uh, clones represent
2: Well in the way the old Sam also I uh, will say you know oh yeah I have a daughter well we have a daughter yeah he's accepting he keeps the idea.
1: trying right yeah. he's trying to bridge a gap that young Sam's not ready to do yet but yeah yeah that happens a couple times yeah in fact the first the first kind of crack in the facade for young Sam is when um, they share a moment talking about how uh,
2: they met their wife right and, and the lunar rover yeah But yeah, they're sharing that same memory, and that's really exciting. But then the one is totally left out on the experience of the daughter, because that's something he would have experienced throughout his three-year stay.
1: Right, he hadn't gotten to that part of the story yet that he was going through, yeah.
2: Right now, we're at the
0: largest producer of fusion energy in the world. The energy of the sun, trapped in rock, harvested by machine from the far side of the moon. Today...
1: We deliver enough clean-burning helium-3 to supply the energy needs of nearly 70% of the planet. Who'd have thought all the energy we ever needed
0: right above our heads?
3: All right, so I I just got to do my thing for a minute. And uh, the economics of what's actually going on don't make any sense at all. And and it kind of works still. You know, the uh, corporations can be just doing terrible things for no actual good reason.
1: But well, tell me why just, they don't work.
3: Well, they could just be sending a couple of people up to this base for three years, paying them while well, bringing them back. It You know, the cost of training a couple
1: of guys... Versus the cost of sending a couple of guys to the moon. Not the economics of the harvesting part, but the economics of the... Of, of, of
3: the whole, you know, premise of the movie. Right. Um, where they have this amazing automated cloning process rather than just sending people up there or just operating the things remotely.
2: I think one thing that it didn't do enough of is, you know, when something went wrong... And they're saying they're sending a rescue team out to take care of it. Which I love the Orwellian
1: nature of rescue team who's showing yeah. up with guns. As yeah. They yeah. keep saying it. They have like the
3: sinister countdown timer. <laughs> yeah. This this one hour until rescue. <laughs>
2: yeah. The thing I think that they were saying there is like, I'm not a baby. I can go take care of this. And maybe, and you know, he makes a point earlier, like his daughter calls him an astronaut and maybe he actually is, or you know, the real Sam was a well-qualified astronaut who's actually good at solving these problems, and just none of the actual problems showed up. Maybe like he, maybe he is an expert at like repairing these harvesters and keeping them well-run and maintained. You know, this is one of those
3: movies that's, you know, this well, is pure hard sci-fi. I mean, you, is-
2: you also have to question like how feasible is human cloning at this point? Like, is it literally as easy as 3D printing a pizza? Or is it an actual hard process to do? Yeah, is this
3: cloning in terms of sci-fi cloning where you Build a body versus and you to, like, raise. build it. You know, you make an embryo, you grow it through these thirty years. 30 years
1: and, uh, well, one thing is they, they didn't. They haven't necessarily determined that this is the best way of doing it because they're so. This is so early in this experiment of doing it this way that they were. This they're just finding out that it doesn't work out. You get seven in and things go to shit. Um, but, but we
3: do. We do find out in the end that the uh, the politics of this is still horrible. Once they're cut, right. There are stuck repercussions. Just, I mean, just because that's a fun little fuck you, but...
1: Um, yeah, I mean, you maybe an argument in, could be made that AR... this, is a, this is a test program for something they want to roll out on Earth later for other types of jobs. And if know. they did
3: establish that, like, moon landings were too expensive, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's certainly, like, setting up the clone lab if you weren't actually sending ships to the moon, but they are sending ships to the moon. So, why not just, you know, train up... Trying to put a couple of guys. What shifts
1: are they sending to the moon? Ex- I mean, there's the rescue guys, the but that's like it. a special case thing. That's not part of the routine. I think it's meant to be self sufficient. It's self sufficient, right? Well, I mean, if, if you're putting that into part of your economic plan, right? But it might be different than sending a guy every three years. I mean, one of the things the movie kind of presupposes is three years is the limit for someone's sanity f- to be doing this job, well, not just I, that they physically the clone breaks down, but that it's actually like psychologically becomes too t- trying after well I fine. think
3: the psychological part was the kind of red herring for clones physically break down
2: well i I think there we, like, we didn't know that of the that could be interpreted um, both ways, i think I think. I was thinking, like, okay, a clone breaks down after three years, kind of like uh, do Androids dream of electric sheep? They have a lifespan. But then I was also thinking about the other way, like maybe the psychologically he would be breaking down after three years. And so they just found out the shittiest food and mm-hmm. other circumstances that they could give him for three years. Like his fit body has to make it this long. We know his mind's only going to make it hmm. this long.
1: His body's not breaking down after three years because it's inherently going to, but because they'd it only might, bother to maintain it on a three-year... Right, end. we
2: might as well feed in the shitty beans, right. is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, like, but if, I mean, you're sending these you know huge
3: amount of harvesting infrastructure you're i mean you're what does it cost to totally buy a human life what it versus what it costs to build an underground moon cloning lab (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's a question maybe uh maybe it's cost a lot to buy a human life in 15 years and we live in this wonderful utopia aside from this one company where you just can't You know, send a guy off to do a (laughs) shitty job because there's all these amazing labor laws across the board. So, so this is really this amazingly utopian movie. Um, Except
1: there's still blowhard right wing AM radio.
3: Right. Well, (laughs) they keep it around as it's like a museum exhibit. They, you know, there's a fun zoo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That the Sean Hannitys of the world can
2: just you know get
1: eat peanuts
3: if they perform <laughs> well enough i don't know
2: one thing about that uh, about that idea too is that he uh, is on the serang 18 and is there like a seven first through 17 serangs is there other bases and maybe they have completely different experiments going on or um, harvesting situations
1: evan Rothbury alludes to that i think in one of his blog posts of designing that they chose the number to maybe wink at It it could be that because they have the communications blocking infrastructure in place, it could be, you know... 10, 10 miles away, there's another one of these going on, and ten miles from that, there's another it's one. They're
3: putting one guy in charge of supri- supplying the, the energy for seventy <laughs> percent of the Earth's right. uh, energy supply.
1: No, that's uh, But they could be all over peppering that yeah, side of just, the moon. Yeah. yeah then
2: the but question is: never, Are they other Sams, or are they just completely different? Yeah. Is it a different guy? Yeah. Okay, that's, that's that, Sam.
3: I guess kind of makes it make more sense if it is
2: maybe they're they're, trying out a different scenario in each one I'm just thinking if they all are
3: SAMs that makes the The economics of scale scale coming because you can (laughs) then you are tuning all the machines to the human if you do need if you do for some reason still need uh, human decision making you don't have Quite that good AI. You so, a, so, yeah. so you are tuning all the machinery. So you are tuning these billions and billions of dollars to a right. specific person. It'd so in like- that case, cloning would make sense rather than training up a person. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the idea of putting a number on this station is like... In the movie *Aliens*, when Hudson says, uh, "Is this another? Is this going to be a stand-up fighter, or, sir, or another bug hunt?" And just the phrase "another bug hunt" just opens up a whole universe of other stories that can happen. But that's all the time you need to spend on it, right? You just place it in a giant universe of possible other, you know, parallel stories, um, and then just move right along from it and, to, and continue telling the one story. Um, and and it's just kind of it's a wink and if if you pick it up it's there and otherwise the movie still works and you write
2: your fan fiction later
1: then you write your fan fiction later
3: (laughs) yeah you got two Sam Rockwells I set
0: your I set your computer to reboot the moment that I've launched
3: I understand Sam
0: you should be okay
3: I hope life on earth is everything you remember it to be
0: Thanks, Gary. You'll be okay? Of course. The new Sam and I will be back to our programming as soon as I've finished rebooting. Pretty... we're not programmed. We're people. You understand?
1: Yeah, I think a really beautiful movie. I thought they they used the budget really well. I thought they the shot composition was always really just delightful to look at. Um, I uh, I liked a ton of the industrial design. It seemed really practical and lived in in the way that the kind of N- Nostromo and Alien did, and you know, lots of other kind of similar examples. Um, yeah, it's really a lush movie. And we we briefly mentioned the um, Clint Mansell score, but obviously that's a real. Like one of the most famous parts of the movie is this incredible.
2: What's there, I think, is really good, but I think there's too little of it because um, there's that like subtle song that's going on the piano that's kind of the theme of the movie, and it repeats a lot. Yeah, well, variants on it. But, but that's what he does in his movies. But right, if that's... you if you got the DVD from Netflix and you fell asleep, <laughs> and the menu comes up oh, and you've yeah. been dreaming to that for <laughs> half an hour, it's really awful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> DVD menus are the worst. They shouldn't ever have audio in them. Um, but yeah, it's it's it kind of aesthetically really, really comes together for me. And that's one of my favorite parts of the movie is that I can even just set the plot aside for a minute and just like enjoy the sensory part of the movie. Yeah, there's
2: a lot of times where there's no dialogue at all, and mm-hmm. you're just left with the imagery and the music, and it is really beautiful. Mm-hmm.
1: I wish it didn't end on that little radio blurb. It just leaves a weird taste in my mouth because it's not—it's not, it's yeah. not yeah. tonally of a piece with the rest of the movie. Well, it seems funny. like, wait, was the movie supposed to be this weird fucking immigration allegory now? Because it's the thing about like he's either a maniac or an illegal alien, and that's the note the movie chooses
2: yeah. to end on. Well, the idea that he's—you uh, know—has lost his mind, I think, is totally legitimate. Like, that if somebody came to Earth and said, you know, I'm this guy, but this guy already exists, of course, somebody would think he's crazy. The illegal alien thing is that. About someone wanted a little bit more of a happy ending. Yeah, I wonder if there's a there's an alternate ending where he doesn't survive reentry,
1: but then the third Sam that we see, the one who's just waking up at the end of the movie has an opportunity to figure it out for himself and you leave it on that kind of potentially hopeful note. That actually wouldn't be a bad way of ending it. And you know he finally grows that mustache. And then you know the mustache is coming. <laughs> Sam number 3, yeah. Well, successful movie, successful chat. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was fun.
2: There's a lot of ki- a lot of, uh, butt in this movie. Did you see how much butts there were? There was a little butt. There was a naked one. At the there's beginning. only really
1: one dude, so there's only really one yeah, butt. That's it's true. Just, just, just how much of you that saw, kick, butt. You saw Gertie's butt a lot of times. Oh, it has a, a kick me sign yeah, on it. Yeah, we
2: flipped the switches on his butt. We
1: got in there. We flipped the switches <laughs> on
3: his butt.